Welcome back, Eudemaniacs, to the podcast that explores Eudemania. Euda what? Eudemania means personal flourishing. I'm Emily Geyser, and I started this podcast to elevate our tools and understanding of flourishing. During this time where so many of us feel tapped out, exhausted, and down, I'm interviewing guests who bring fantastic tools and experience with flourishing to keep us focused on our own sense of well-being and potential. Thanks for spending this time with me. All right, shame is something I've been wanting to explore on this podcast, and I have the perfect guest for this topic. A.J. Bond is the author of the book, Discomfortable, What is Shame and How Can We Break Its Hold? He's a shame (laughs) educator and coach certified as a shame healing practitioner by the Center for Healing Shame in Berkeley. Welcome, AJ. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here as well. I've loved reading your book. Congratulations. What a great piece of work. An excellent resource. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into it more. I think it'll be really useful with my clients. But I have you mm-hmm. here. So, I'm, ex- so. <laughs> I'm excited to pick your brain and learn so much from you because I know that you love talking about shame and you are an expert. So maybe you can just start this by telling us what is shame? Well, first, I want to say I have a bit of a, a shamey aversion to the word expert because it's like <laughs> it brings up my shame around. Am I really an expert? Like, I don't have a Ph.D. I'm not a scientist. So it's like uh, I just wanted to name that because that's a little bit of my own shame for you right there. Um, but what is it? Yeah. So what what just happened there? A little bit of shame came up around that word. What just happened? I, I think. The way I've been thinking about it recently on the kind of really most simple level is this is an unpleasant sensation that seems to point to myself. So it's it's a whole for me, it's a whole family of feelings, a kind of spectrum of intensities of this unpleasantness that makes us look inward, that makes us say, oh, there's something about me, about my actions, about myself, about my essence, perhaps, or about my place in the group that makes me feel bad, makes me feel unpleasant. That That's sort of just like my most basic definition for shame right now on my shame journey. Yeah, <laughs> it's always <absolutely>. evolving. <laughs> and shame is an emotion that you say everybody has. Yeah, yeah. I think where there's some confusion is people use different words like guilt or shame or embarrassment, humiliation. So when I talk about shame... I'm really talking about a whole family that includes all of that. And I'm inspired by particularly a a theory of emotion called affect theory, which posits that um, it's, it's really just a feeling in our body that we interpret in different ways in terms of different, different intensities and different situations. So shame affect the feeling and body state of shame. You might sometimes interpret it as just shyness or embarrassment or shame proper, or guilt, or humiliation. So I think that's why we sometimes think, oh, I don't have a lot of shame, but yeah, I do sometimes feel shy or embarrassed. So for me, it's this feeling that's universal. We all have that unpleasant self-awareness, and um, sometimes it's really healthy, sometimes really helpful. Uh, It can help us see when we've hurt someone else or transgressed our values, and sometimes it can be toxic and kind of maladaptive and limiting. Thank you for highlighting that because I was just thinking, well, like what I find with my clients is that shame can be paralyzing at the yeah. least. Yeah. But I don't think about shyness and guilt as necessarily paralyzing. So it sounds like it's a spectrum. Yeah. And I think when it becomes paralyzing, we're getting into that toxic version of shame, which is for me, you know, uh, an intensity of that feeling of that unpleasantness that makes it hard to handle physically and usually interpretations, stories, beliefs about self that have been kind of wired into that feeling so that when that unpleasant feeling comes up, it has this second hit of I'm bad or flawed or wrong. So it's just two really disempowering physical and mental attacks. 
I am here. I had a session yesterday with a client and I'm just hearing her words echo in my ears as you're saying this right now, where she was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't understand why I'm like this. Yeah. And, <laughs> so relatable. Yeah. 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 And so it's relatable. Tell me about your um, journey with shame. Yeah. Well, so I'm gay and growing up in the 80s and 90s, in my family culture, in the culture I was born in, uh, it just seemed to me like the worst thing that I could possibly be. Like, why Why am I having these feelings? Why am I, oh, I feel emotion come up even now. It's like that subject is just wired into my brain in such a um, powerful and painful way. So yeah, so just feeling like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Why am I like this? How did this happen? What did I do wrong? Um, struggling with that. And then eventually coming to terms with my sexual orientation, coming out, making gay friends, you know, being accepted by my friends and family. But that deep sense of what's wrong with me, like your client said, it continued. It sort of lost its original... I think, you know, my my sexual orientation growing up in a kind of heteronormative society, a big, big kernel for this feeling of what's wrong with me, but other things as well, you know, like family, intergenerational family shame, things like that. So even though it kind of lost one of its big justifications, it was just wired in there. This deep belief, deep in my like brain, in my, in my inner child, that there's something wrong with me. And that, that, in a way is still with me it's uh it's a wiring that's that's i think very gradually softening but more than anything else i'm i'm just more comfortable seeing it knowing what it is and that that is the result of going to therapy that's kind of how it started for me my therapist um luckily for me was able to say like i think this thing you're talking about this like feeling is shame and that i was like oh wow Oh, is it? And it just set me on this journey. I started listening to every Brene Brown interview, reading every book I could find on the subject. And the more I read, the more I was like, absolutely. Like, this is the core issue for me, is this, this deep internalized sense that there's something wrong with me. And it, it kind of, um, there was a powerful moment, uh, you know, I don't know exactly, maybe a year into this exploration where I had a kind of breakthrough, a kind of like almost spiritual type little mini awakening moment where a lot of the shame I was struggling with seemed to kind of separate from me. And I realized that this, that I, it wasn't me. It was, it was a, a shift where shame became an object. Instead of being me, I'm shameful, I'm contained. It's like, oh, this, there's me and then there's shame and they're different things. And I saw how a lot of the beliefs in that shame, like the feeling isn't me and the beliefs attached to it, they're not even my beliefs. Like they're not, they're not my opinions. I didn't, they like were given to me as a child and I just believed them. So that was a really powerful moment, but my shame didn't go away. So since then, and that was like five years ago, I've just been still on a journey of like how best to to relate to this feeling that doesn't go away, how best to relate to this wiring around there's something wrong with me, which also doesn't just quickly go away. It's almost like the, the analogy I like to use is on some level, you know, my first language is English. It's deeply ingrained. And emotionally, it's kind of like my first language is shame. It's deeply ingrained on that same level of intensity as English. And I can't expect that I'm just going to switch to Spanish really quickly just because I see that I'd rather speak Spanish. So that's what it's like with shame is I'm gradually trying to learn a second language, which is really hard to do as an adult, a second emotional language. Does that, mm. does that make sense? Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I'm also thinking about how, you know, I talk a lot about how we have feelings and we have thoughts, but we aren't our feelings and we yes. aren't our thoughts. And the less we can attach to them and kind of integrate with them, the better. Yeah. And that's exactly what that breakthrough moment, I think, was, was mm -hmm. a real sudden shift where I realized I'm not these feelings and I'm not these thoughts. Um, they didn't like, I thought after that, that would mean they would just leave me forever. They didn't.
but at least I've never believed them quite as much since. Yeah, totally. So freeing. Yeah. It was the, the, I felt like bliss after that moment for like a month, but then gradually my shame came back and I was all confused. I was like, I thought I got rid of this. Like what? And so now it's been a journey of um, befriending shame, not getting rid of it, but befriending it like a, like a chronic condition. So I have a wondering, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to put it into words the way I want to, but I'm curious if you talk about shame being your first like emotional language. I'm kind of curious if that was always true and being gay was how it was magnified. Or if realizing that you were gay in a very heteronormative community is what first caused the shame. Am, am I, is that clear? Yes, absolutely clear. And um, I, I am, for my money, it's the latter. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I think we might be born, you know, I might be an HSP. I might be a highly sensitive person, you know, that my understanding, which is limited, is that that's a very real thing. Like people can be much more sensitive emotionally, you know, would definitely seem to be born with some, some, some intrinsic sense of introversion or extroversion, things like that. But I don't think that those things inherently um, bring us shame until they cause a sense of rupture or disconnection with the important people in our lives. So I, I don't think a child is just born full of uh, shame, but, but I, sure. I could be wrong. You know, I, I could be wrong. Um, there, there are definitely people who seem to have a lot more shame than other people. And I don't know exactly what causes that. There could be something biological to it. But I think mostly when we're talking about toxic shame or problematic shame in our lives, it is shame that as a child, it's some kind of subject that seemed to cause a rupture with our caregivers, uh, perhaps even like a persistent rupture, like a, a bunch of small ruptures, like complex trauma type ruptures. And very gradually, the child who is very egocentric and sort of interprets the whole world as like about me or, or my fault, good or bad, uh, naturally says, oh, like there's something about me that causes my parents to like shrink away or important adults or people in my life to shrink away. What's wrong with me? It's that question again. Oh, like what did I do to cause them to shrink away? And it doesn't occur to us at that age that they have their own shame and their own imperfections and their own trauma. So we just very naturally blame ourselves. And I think that is adaptive. It's instinctive because it, for a few reasons, if we saw that our parents were flawed, it could, it could create anger in us, which could be unsafe for us to get angry at our caregivers to be like, it's your fault dad you know it's your fault mom like that could be dangerous for a child that's helpless and needs their support plus we have more control over ourselves so if we interpret it as our fault we can find strategies to mitigate it which are actually going to save our lives as children so these are it's very adaptive and useful as a child to think this way to blame ourselves and to to make different to change oh every time i um you know, want physical affection, my parent pulls away, there must be something wrong with me for wanting physical affection, I will stop wanting it in order to fit in and be safe. So as a child, that that's helpful. But then that wires in. And that is a story that we carry into adulthood where it becomes maladaptive, uh, no longer useful to be seeing it as our fault. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, it really does. And it if, when you were talking, I was thinking about something that Brene Brown says, and she's the first person who introduced shame to me. It wasn't actually an emotion that I related to at all, which maybe yeah. is part of how it's <laughs> manifests. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it was in the same context that she said, whenever you're looking for a way that you don't belong, you'll always find it. Yeah. 
And I didn't remember that that was directly related to shame. And maybe it's not. But from what I'm hearing from you, it sounds like those pieces are tied together. For sure. I think when we feel that we don't belong, shame is the feeling that comes up, the alarm that says danger. Because as a social animal, um, for our ancestors and for our biology, it really is life or death to, to belong. That's like our core, one of our core needs, I think. Um, all of our needs are met in the context of belonging as a social animal. So to some extent, I need to belong in order to meet my basic needs to, to have shelter and food and safety. So yeah, shame is like, you might not belong. Uh, and generally it's, there's, that's because there's something wrong with you. Fix yourself, change yourself. And as a child, that's literally true. It's like, well, it's not literally true, but it's literally true that you need your parents to survive. You to maniacs. Thank you for listening to this episode of you to what? I know you love to learn about health and ways to feel better and get more joy from your day to day. You want to experience eudaimonia, but are you implementing what you learn? And do you feel successful with that? Maybe you aren't sick, you just don't feel great, like constant fatigue, foggy thinking, bloat or digestive issues, anxiety. These are all things that I can help you address. Is your doctor talking to you about the pillars of health like nutrition, sleep, movement, breath work? This is true preventative medicine. For example, when you work to bring more balance and health to, say, your hormones through diet and lifestyle, you can experience a cascade of benefits such as weight loss, more energy, better digestion, better sleep, better moods, and so much more. And it all stems from treating the root cause, not each individual problem. So I'm talking about this because the most common complaint I hear from women is that they know what they should be doing, but don't have the time or energy to make it happen or to stick with it. I get that. You probably read a lot listen to podcasts like this, and just generally know a lot of stuff, right? But knowing and doing aren't the same. A friend of mine just said, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who don't know how much they need you. Sometimes we need someone with a 10,000-foot view, an outside perspective to guide us. It can be confusing to constantly clear your path when you're bushwhacking through the weeds. I help my clients get from where they are to where they want to be. If you're ready to prioritize your own well-being, let's talk. Schedule a free consult call with me, and we can take the first steps towards discovering your own unique wellness blueprint. Visit my website to schedule, emilygeiser.com. Links are in the show notes. So it sounds like shame has an adaptive purpose. It's a healthy emotion. Yes, it, it certainly can be. Or it can be, but it becomes this like toxic emotion. Yeah, I think we're feeling healthy shame all the time. Um, just this morning... I was thinking about, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, I don't know how much of this story I want to tell because it's a little bit inane, but like, I realized that I, I have to use these special flossers for my, like, um, I have all these fake teeth. I have to like go around them. And I realized that, oh, I should be breaking these little plastic loops because I don't want animals to get like caught in them. And then I thought about all these little loops that I've thrown into the garbage and I felt healthy shame about, oh, I don't want to be contributing to hurting animals. I don't even really want to be contributing to plastic in the garbage. And I felt like motivated and excited in a way to be like, how can I fix this? How can I better dispose of these? Is there a better way I could be doing this? And that's not the kind of shame that paralyzes and oppresses me. It's the kind of shame where I'm like, it motivates me to do better, to align with my values. So every day I'm making little mistakes or growing or seeing new things and feeling a kind of like, oh, I feel bad for not having been able to do that in the past. And I want to be able to live up to that in the future. And I think there's like healthy shame in that. Anytime we make a mistake that we view as an actual mistake that aligns with our values or anytime that we experience an interpersonal rupture with an important person, there'll be shame. And that just reminds us that we want to belong, that it's safe to belong, that it feels good to belong, and that we care. So to, again, that seems like very adaptive shame. It's when we took these, we internalized these childhood ruptures and blamed ourselves and hold on to that, 
That's the shame that really disempowers me. That's the shame that can attack me when I'm all alone. I'm all alone and I um, think about, you know, still like certain gay related shames can hit me. And that's just like this deep self blame and self rejection of my own authenticity that um, is really no longer helpful to me because I don't need it to fit in. I can find new people to fit in with if I really need to. Um, it's sapping me of of motivation and it's sapping my my authenticity to just show up in the world and be like, this is my truth. And it's plaguing me when I'm all alone. Like there's no one around. I'm just thinking and feeling shame. So that's when I really start to question like, okay, there's there's no inter there's no real person here that I'm having a break with. I haven't, you know, gone against my values. So this seems like some old shame trigger. And so when you recognize that happening, when you're going mm -hmm. into a shame spiral, is that when you start beating yourself up about it? Or what do you do to break it? <laughs> There's different, different ways that I might go about it. First of all, I have to notice that I'm in it. It's like, It'll happen just so naturally. It's so patterned, so so old, so so like my kind of default that it's it'll I'll kind of yeah, I'll be beating myself up unconsciously, I'll be feeling unpleasant. And then there needs to be a moment where I'm like, "Wait, oh, wait. I'm in shame. What's going on here?" So that that is the first step. I have to be able to notice it. I have to have that self-awareness, and that is really hard it took me a really long time to be able to name shame while i'm feeling it because it's so uncomfortable that i'm much more prone to go into some kind of defensive strategy i like distraction numbing um yeah some kind of inner critic or uh yeah usually some form of numbing will come about mm -hmm. and so i'll be running from the shame which is actually just sort of elongating it in a way so then I have to notice it and I have to like, okay, now I have to confront this. I have to look at it. In fact, there was something like that for me today. Over the last few days, I realized I've been in like a bit of a funk. I realized it was shame and I realized what it was about. And what I did this time was to look at the messages that were shaming me. There was this message that... um my life wasn't right. Like, oh, I need to fix this and I need to get this sorted out. And I actually just looked at those messages and I said, that's not true. I don't believe that. And I actually found a bit of anger and I directed the anger towards those shaming messages. So it was kind of like an old inner critic with some cultural beliefs that I actually didn't believe in anymore that were just operating automatically saw them for what they were and and gave them some anger, some like, no, some boundary energy. We're, I'm not gonna believe that, I'm not gonna go there. And so I, I kind of took the message of shame, which was saying, essentially, you need to belong with these norms. And I inverted it and I said, the reason I'm suffering is not because I don't belong with these norms. The reason I'm suffering is because I'm trying to belong with norms that aren't authentic to me anymore. So you can kind of like play with the interpretations of shame in ways that can make it empowering instead of disempowering. Does that does that make sense? I find it hard to explain. Well, I have so many questions about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I think it's really helpful to get really granular about it. And so Brene Brown says that shame uh, like fosters and like secrecy um judgment silence. silence right yeah and that it's really empathy that i don't know if it's the cure but it is um can soften the shame yes yes so that's the, i would say that's like a slightly separate antidote to the one i was working with today really I, in that case i might have found an empathetic listener and said oh i'm feeling all this shame about how my life isn't perfect and i haven't figured this out and figured that out like can you relate and had a friend be like, totally, I haven't figured this out. I haven't figured that out. And between us, we create a sense of okayness. Like, oh, 
I'm still acceptable. You're still acceptable, even though we're imperfect in these ways. We haven't like done all the things we think we need to do. It can really soften the shame and just create a sense of, it's not that I'm bad and won't fit in because I'm imperfect in these ways. In fact, I'm normal and will fit in specifically because of these imperfections. Yeah. So that would be more the, the um, for me at least, the version of an empathy antidote. I um, I felt like you were expressing a little bit of empathy with yourself, just in the yes. willingness to get curious about what is this. That Absolutely. is that is softness rather than turning at it, you know. Um, but I love that example of doing it in partnership with somebody else versus like the strong boundaries that you did with yourself. Yeah, I think that's so important. You're absolutely right. It was a self-compassion, self-empathy move. Um, and I think I needed to receive that externally in the past to, to, to know that it was possible from like my therapist in particular and close trusting friends. But then over receiving that, you're gradually able to kind of um, internalize it for yourself. And you're absolutely right. In the past, I would have probably believed the shaming inner critic and kind of sided with them. And been like, yeah, AJ, figure your crap out. But because of this self-compassion work, I was able to say, wait, let's question these beliefs. Who said you have to be perfect at that or have this figured out? Oh, well, I'm 42. Like, doesn't a 40? No. Who said? Who said? So that's where I start to have my own back and get some anger, which is new for me. Anger is hard to have when you're a lot of self-shaming and, and create that boundary. So you're absolutely right. Hmm. Interesting. The part I wanted to get granular about that you were saying, because I'm fascinated with the process of hearing our thoughts rather mm -hmm. than being thrown by the wave of emotions, but really being yeah. able to kind of anchor ourselves and just notice the emotions. And you're describing so much of that which in my experience has been helped a lot through like a mindfulness practice. And I'm yes. curious if you have a practice that helps you separate from your emotions, because I feel like a lot of people that are listening to this maybe don't really have a mindfulness practice and don't even get how to get a step away from emotions rather than just be the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I absolutely am a big meditator and that has been, huge the like just to be able to notice is already that piece of mindfulness that piece of separation to say that's not me so i can like have a little bit of distance and look at it and examine it rather than just believing it um so meditating has been super helpful with that um as well as parts work um i've done work like focusing internal family systems um and there's there's others trying to think of some other examples, but that's a good, that's a good start. They're just systems that really get you thinking about your, your impulses, your emotions, um, patterns as these kind of separate entities. Sometimes it can even sound a bit embarrassing, but it, it actually really helps to create that, that differentiation, that difference, that space to be able to see them as just to have the room to see them. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, meditation is part of my daily routine. I think it really shows in how you talk through all this. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it To be able to like see my inner landscape is something I feel a lot of pride about. It's mm -hmm. like, I, I may not have like cured my shame or whatever, I don't even know what that means, but like just to be able to find a kind of okayness within it all is a, is a really which I can't always do, but when I can, it's like something I'm like, oh, I'm so thankful for this. You talked about um, curing shame, but you've also mentioned how it can be like reinterpreted in powerful and liberating, liberating ways to use your words. So what is that process of like, if shame isn't bad and we're learning to live with it, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like curing shame, I have this like, sort of two big shame things. One is shame comes up 
how do I deal with it? But then there's a the deeper thing of like, why does that shame come up? And is there a way that I could have it come up less? And so reinterpreting it is more, you know, shame is coming up. What do I do with it? Uh, rather than this sort of like deeper, much, much, much more gradual work of how would I trigger my shame less? Um, and so when, when shame comes up for me, I traditionally was in my childhood. Again, this is sort of like wiring conditioning type stuff based on my culture and based on my own interpretation. This feeling became associated with the story that I'm bad. So it basically meant that every time I felt this sensation, another neuron lit up that said, this means this sensation means I'm bad. And anytime I thought, oh, I'm bad, the neuron would automatically link to shame. So like a very disempowering combo. So one of the, the big first moves that I had to start working on was, was separating out that when this feeling comes up, it doesn't actually mean I'm bad. However, that doesn't mean that the neuron that says I'm bad won't light up as well. So there's, again, it's kind of like a, a meta self-awareness move where you're able to see the shame, be like, oh, there, there's the thought that I'm bad, and also contain a, a knowing that that's not true, that that's an old interpretation from the past. And it helps to start exploring shame and discovering that it has other meanings. Um, you know, shame is the warning. There's many ways you could reinterpret it. Shame is the warning that there's some kind of interpersonal rupture or that there could be some kind of interpersonal rupture. So just, just a definition like that helps me reinterpret. Okay, so shame doesn't mean I'm bad. Shame means that I'm worried that there, there is or might be a rupture with some kind of important person. Um, and there's, there's other ways that you could think of shame as well. Uh, some people like to separate shame and guilt as shame means I am bad and guilt means I did a bad thing. So under certain, I consider those both shame the feeling with different interpretations. So it's worth noting that when I'm feeling bad, there might be a version of that, a reinterpretation that's actually says, oh, actually I just made a mistake somewhere. This isn't always true. Like shame can be triggered when you haven't made a mistake, but under certain situations you can see, oh yeah, I, I said that thing, it came out really harshly created a bit of a, a rupture with my friend. And then shame came up and I said, oh, why did I do that? Because I'm bad. And I can then be like, no, that's not actually the story. The story is, yes, there was a rupture. And I think that I did make a mistake and I'm feeling this shame because of the mistake and the rupture. And when I focus on it like that, it's a lot clearer what I wanna do. I wanna repair the rupture and I wanna apologize for the mistake that I made. Whereas the other interpretation, it's worth noting, if I'm bad and that's why I said that thing and made that rupture, there's no solution. All I can really do is hide my badness and beat up on myself in order to kind of atone for my badness, which I think is how I lived with shame for a really long time. Like I'm bad and I'm actually going to like, in a way, unconsciously choose to beat up on myself to atone for the badness that I don't think I can ever fix. Uh, or change. Mm -hmm. So we get into situations like that where it's very limiting, paralyzing, like like you said. And when we can find these different reinterpretations, there's just a bigger menu of possibilities for how you can fix the situation if there was a mistake or just uh, have more self-compassion, more possibility. It expands your options and your agency, which is like... We all want that. Yeah. And that I think that's what's so awful about shame is that it tricks you. Toxic shame tricks you into thinking there is no options. There is no possibilities. There is no agency. Um, and that is a hopeless place. Uh, I feel emotion coming up in me again. Yeah. Because I think um, I get trapped in that hopeless place a lot. Uh, and I, in the past, I think I lived a lot of my life from that hopeless place. And if you're into like polyvagal theory at all, which we could get into a bit, I think that for me, that place is a very like dorsal vagal shutdown. 
So it's like a collapsed state that our our ancestors literally used to play dead in order to trick predators into thinking that um, we're dead. So it's it's a kind of like it's it is a it is a kind of death, a kind of hopelessness, kind of powerlessness that I carry around because I don't see that there are actually options. There is actually anger energy, action energy, boundary energy that I can use to escape. But I don't see that. I don't let myself do that. Interesting. That's that paralyzed feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 actually like a physiological paralysis in a way too. It's it's like a literally uh you know you the classic a gazelle is running from a predator. The predator catches them. The gazelle goes into this collapse, this this death and the the predator relaxes and then the gazelle runs away. So that state of the collapse is very like healthy for that moment, but not if you live from that place. If you walk around in the world from that place, it's it's numb, it's dead, it's hopeless. Uh, it's awful. It's, it's truly awful. It's interesting that you said that your what you turn to to cope with feelings of shame is kind of like numbing out. It's like a exactly. very familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's like more of that death state. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, which I think creates more shame and more hopelessness and more paralysis and less vitality. Shame mm-hmm. saps us of our vitality. It really does. In fact, in affect theory, they describe shame as an emotional attenuator. So they actually see shame as the move of diminishing other emotions. So literally, shame is like this. Ve- vacuum created when our system shuts another emotion down so again this like this this vacuum this death this void this numbness is all very shamey so then i'm curious if you are also working with your nervous system as you are working with shame i think so (laughs) like in my mindfulness practice i have a lot of embodiment practice to be paying attention to my body where am i feeling things where like where is it is it in my stomach is it in my like chest area is it in my throat to be very aware of that and tracking that um i think is a nervous system practice but um i don't know like when i hear the word nervous system i don't know uh, there's a sense of like uncertainty like how expert I am with the nervous system. So that's why I had a little bit of hesitance to like, oh, am I working fine? But yes, in a, in a kind of implicit um, feeling sense way, yes. In your work coaching, are you finding that you're working with, are you finding that women present shame differently than men present shame? Is it showing up differently among genders or mm. in couples? I don't know if you do any of that sort of work. Um, I don't do uh, any explicit couples work. Does it show up differently? I think there's certain subject matter, certain norms that have been internalized by different identities uh, as children. So it's like shame is going to show up for different reasons. And then I also think those norms impact the way we're allowed to feel and express our emotions. So I I do think that a lot of men are shaming away, diminishing a lot of emotionality, a lot of tears, a lot of a lot of authentic sensitivities and things like that. That some women weren't shamed in in quite the same way, where they they are have more access to some of their emotions like that. But then other emotions for women like anger might get shamed away, like it's inappropriate to show that. So. I see, I do see that there are kind of different clusters of norms that are shaming people on this implicit level, but then you never know. Like I have the thing where I'm, I don't, my anger gets shamed away. That's like, in fact, I think for a lot of people, their anger gets shamed away, or if, if they do feel like they're allowed to go into anger, it's usually a misdirected kind of anger that they're allowed to go into and not really the primary anger that goes towards the real wounding, um, which generally is associated with something in childhood. So it's like, I'm not gonna get angry towards that, but I will get angry at my 
um, my, you know, the people who work below me or my children or my partner, something like that is a safe and allowed, but it's not safe to get angry in these actual in the to get angry at the actual problem is not safe that's often the case with shame it's like we talked about in the childhood thing as a child it's not really safe to get angry at your parent or even to really see when it's their fault so you blame yourself so we keep that going into adulthood and i it's safer to blame myself than get angry at someone who is clearly uh crossing my boundaries or uh, abusing me or something like that Whew. Like I'm just along for a little therapy session here. <laughs> <laughs> well, me too, because this is like right on my learning edge. It's really deep. Just a real quick break here, because I want to take a moment to rave about my favorite skincare brand, Beauty Counter. This is an ad. I'm an affiliate. I locked arms with Beauty Counter back in 2014. And it's basically all my family has been using for our personal care products for the past eight years. I'm a real stickler for clean, safe ingredients in my food, in my skincare. It's easier to find these these days. The thing is, any brand can call themselves clean, but they often can't back it up. Beauty Counter can, and it all starts with safety. Since their launch in 2013, Beauty Counter has disrupted the safety and ingredient norms in the industry and gone on to set the highest bar for safety in the beauty industry. It's not just safer ingredients, but sustainable packaging, ingredient transparency, responsibly sourced raw materials, trace contaminant and heavy metal testing, by the way, that's unheard of, and more. Beauty Counter is a B Corporation, EWG certified and Leaping Bunny certified plus female founded. If you are ready to switch to clean beauty, I highly encourage you to shop Beauty Counter. Truly, I love it. That's why I'm sharing it because we use it. It's what is in all the bathrooms. You can head to the website beautycounter.com backslash Emily Geyser to shop with me. You can get the link for that and a discount code in the show notes or message me and I'll send them to you directly. I guess one last point that I'll that I will ask about is around authenticity and how shame gets in the way of authenticity because as you're speaking it just seems really hard to ignore the fact that we're not showing up as we really want to if we're carrying around a lot of shame of who we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 absolutely the kind of the core of it in a way. I am bad. It's like that message has gotten wired in there. I think I'm bad. And it's just so easy. You know, like you said, if, you, if you're looking for ways that you don't belong, you'll find them. With that core message or wound that I'm like bad or flawed or wrong, whatever it is, um, you'll just find so many examples of the, of the truth of that. Yeah. Uh, oh, today it's because I said this or because I like that or because I can't do this. Like just it all kind of gets absorbed in. And so with that will be all these authenticities. Um, yeah, my authenticity might be that uh, um, I cry a lot, but then because I'm bad, I've really connected to the norm that like crying is weak. So I have to shame my authentic desire to cry and my authentic emotions. And I have to use that shame, like I said, to literally like diminish them, to kind of hide them, squash them away, repress them push them into the shadow. Um, and I have to kind of walk around like that in that, that numb, repressed state. Because it seems like if I let that be seen, it will prove to people what I deeply fear, which is that I'm bad, and they will then reject me, and I won't belong, and I will die frightened, sad, and alone because I'm a social animal. I think that's essentially what's going on, but we may not be conscious of it like that it might just be like oh i'd be embarrassed to cry it'd be embarrassing but i think if you really followed that trail it's like it will reveal that i'm bad and i will be rejected and i will die because i will be alone and i will suffer because i will be alone but what one way that i'm trying to reinterpret shame is instead of shame saying if you show this difference you will suffer i like to think of it sometimes as 
if you hide this difference, you will suffer, which is equally, it's true. Like repressing and hiding these things is suffering. It's saying, don't conform. Don't be inauthentic. You will suffer. And how you will suffer is you'll feel shame and you'll feel lonely and you'll feel disconnected. So I kind of use the pain of shame sometimes and flip it uh, to be a reminder to be more authentic, to be different, to show up in that and to say, like, I need to be accepted in this. I need to find acceptance in my truth or I will suffer. So it's like, it's just a fun little twist. Instead of saying, oh, I need to conform or I'll suffer. I say, I need to not conform or I will suffer. And of course I want to name, sometimes I will reveal my authenticity and I will be rejected. And then I'll feel shame. And I and that might be like, oh, I should have never shown my authenticity. But what that's really suggesting is you should live a life of shame. You should stay in shame for safety. And, and that is absolutely not a joyful life. So I think it's still true. If you don't show your truth, you will suffer. You'll suffer a life of hiding. And we live in a world full of people. We don't live in a tribe anymore where if we get kicked out, we're going to die. We live in a world where we can absolutely find the people who will accept our authenticity. And we can find that, that joy and that truth. And so... I kind of want to remind myself to keep pushing through rejection that there will be my people out there, that they will be out there. And I have to keep reminding myself of that to get through those hiccups where it's like, oh, well, I actually did get rejected. Whoops. It's such a good point that, you know, for me, I'm feeling like, well, I have shown up inauthentically at times. And that is a shameful experience as well. Totally. Yeah. So I think the message is, you will feel ashamed and do it anyway, kind of like fear. You'll feel the fear and do it anyway. You'll feel yes. the shame and do it anyway. Yeah, it's exactly right. And this, I think a lot of us are waiting for the day that we don't feel the shame or don't feel the fear. And I think you bring up like such a valid point. It's like, that's that day may never come. We have to be able to move through these feelings and and for me, it helps to just talk about it. Like, I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling fear. But I have to be honest. And I feel shame that, like, my honesty will get me rejected or it will be judged or something. So I'm feeling all of that. And here's my honesty anyway. This is what I have to do. Such cool work. Amazing. It's like it's big stuff. Is there anything that I I know that there's a lot I haven't asked you. Is there anything you feel like is important for people to know in this conversation today? Well, something that's still kind of lingering with me is um, the the anger. That the importance, like anger, can be uh, a real misdirected problem. Like you know, Brene Brown and James Gilligan, who's a violence researcher, they talk about how shame and humiliation are the cause of violence. So there's there's definitely unhealthy ways that we can use our anger based on our shame by kind of direct, misdirecting it at the wrong people. But if you can actually find the inner critic inside of you and the norms inside of you and separate from them and create some anger energy towards them, and it's important to know it's not anger at yourself. Like we've already done that through the inner critic. It's seeing a piece of cultural conditioning lodged inside of you and saying no to that, finding that anger or the inner critic that is, you know, an internalization of a, of a caregiver or parent from the past. Again, it's like finding that boundary towards that, that thing in the past that you internalized being like no to that because that anger energy is a vitality and an action that actually helps us get out of that collapse state. We actually kind of need to go into, remember how I talked about the gazelle falls and then runs away? The anger is the running away that you need to do to get back to relaxed grazing on the field. So you can't just go from collapsed to that. So the, it really does take reconnecting with vitality and, and a, and a, 
well-directed anger that is directed really at the core sources, not at yourself, not at other people, but at these bits of cultural conditioning inside of us that can really help to re-empower us, get us out of that funk, uh, and give us the it, it give us the power to say my authenticity matters. My authenticity belongs in the world, belongs in in my system, belongs in my actions. Um, so yeah, I feel a bit of the tingles of that energy, and that's a place that I really want to find. And it's a bit counterintuitive because a lot of us were shamed for anger or for vitality or for joy. So what can happen is that you get caught in a loop. I'm in my collapse. I try to get into anger, and then it's like, no, anger's bad. Shame that. So I fall back into my collapse. So my exit strategies are also shamed. So we mm -hmm. kind of have to notice that and de-shame those a little bit. Like, no, it is okay to get angry, even if it's a bit clumsy and I don't quite do it perfectly. It, it is okay to dance and spaz out and be excited, like even if it's a bit embarrassing. It's to find those exits, de-shame them, and then uh, lean into them. That's so powerful. It sounds like what you're describing is kind of completing a shame cycle, like allowing that last emotion to be one of anger and vitality and energy. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Shame essentially was saying you can't feel those things. I'm going to have to trap you. And as we said, like shame takes other impulses, drives and emotions and squishes them so they can't complete. And, and what we want to do is open it up and let that energy flow, let it flow. So it can finish and it can move on. Yeah. It's ironic that I'll say, oh, I can't get angry. So I'll, I'll hold the anger for like ever rather than just letting the anger flow through me and go like, that's how it goes away is when I let it move through me. So we just, we hold on to something in a misdirected strategy to get rid of it when really that prolongs it rather than just kind of embodying it briefly and letting it pass. So true. It's kind of what we talked about earlier, right? With anchoring yourself and allowing the emotions to pass through rather than holding them on as our holding on to them as our truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Buddhist. It's like there are emotions just passing through me. Like a, you really can feel it sometimes, like uh flowing. And it's like if you start trying to stop the flowing, there's shame, there's repression, there's pain. Just let it flow. It can feel overwhelming, it can feel scary. Sometimes the flow is like no, I'm not the type of person who has this feeling. I, I shouldn't have this feeling, you know? That's why I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be angry. And we kind of have to let go of some of those norms. Be like, I am what I am. I am whatever is authentically happening. Let's just let it out. I feel like everybody listening is like, oh, I want to feel that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I'm longing for more of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Myself. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hard to do. It's, 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 a, it's a journey. We're learning a new language as adults, which is hard. And given how prevalent and paralyzing shame is, it sounds like one worth taking on. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one worth spreading. One you worth know, spreading. we want to speak that language with ourselves, but yeah. also our children, our friends, our partners. Yeah. And so, of so, course, you know, because immersion, that's how you learn a language. So we all need to like do right. our part to help like immerse ourselves in a new emotional language of like this openness, this authenticity, this truth. I love it. Showing up authentically with others and having these conversations is a great way to do that. And reading yeah. AJ's book, Discomfortable, which I will um, link in the show notes. AJ, before we end, one question I've been asking all my guests is uh, if you have a morning routine and if so, what is it? How has it helped you? Yeah. I don't have a ridge. I don't have a very, I like when I heard that you're going to ask me this question, there was a little bit of shame that was like a story in my head. I should have a really good morning routine. Um, and so I wanted to name that, like, I don't have that. Um, but I do have some, uh, some things that I can say as I thought about it, I was like, well, I wake up and I have my dream journal. If I can remember a dream, I, I want to write down my dreams. Um, I want to, I'm like wanting to explore lucid dreaming and I find it really valuable just to remember my dreams so that I find that really rewarding. And then if it's time, my favorite thing is to pick up the book I'm reading and read some of it first thing in the morning. I just like to like be in bed and like just reading. That's just like, that's a luxurious start to the day for me. 
And then the other thing I love to do is get some food and do a puzzle. So every morning I'll like get some cereal and while I'm eating my cereal, I do a little bit of puzzle. Um, there's a part of me that's sort of like embarrassed by that, but it's, it really brings me joy to, to do this little puzzle routine. Um, some mornings I just go straight to the gym. So it's like a completely different kind of morning, a smoothie in the gym, but this is my non-gym morning. And then I sort of just have a, uh, like a shower routine, uh, that I try to put a lot of self-care into. And I think the keys of that for me are that I like to light a candle in the bathroom and I'm really into like bar soap. So like each month I'll like have a new scented bar soap. And that's just like something that I really enjoy. <laughs> um, and it's like, it doesn't have any, it doesn't have as much packaging. So I feel like a, a sense of like, uh, there's some like environmental impact there. And then, uh, I'm really into like, a uh, a nice body lotion. That's my other like self-care thing in the morning. It's like, me time putting on body lotion that is just so luxurious to like put on body lotion yeah and then there's other like other little bits to it and then at the end i try to do this thing where every time i blow out a candle it's supposed to be a ritual for me to remember to find some gratitude so i like to blow out the candle and do like a little bow and think of something that i'm grateful for in that moment and that sort of like sets me off to start working that's the closest thing I have to a routine and I don't always do it like today I didn't like the candle I realized so it's okay I noticed some people prefer it when I say rituals because routine sounds so structured and not everybody has a structured morning but what I am hearing from you is a lot of consistency with tending to yourself first thing in the morning in a variety of ways whether it's a puzzle or a gym you know or your routine in the shower and your self-care there you mm -hmm. are first tuning into you yeah. and your state and that to me is like the benefit of a morning routine right is when we tune into ourselves mm. first we really set the tone for the day versus i think people who like maybe just pick up their phone first or just drop into a busy family life like you're in reaction mode the whole time mm -hmm. so i think you do have a morning routine yeah. um i yeah, love I hearing do. it and yeah. ritual really resonates with me it's like yes morning rituals mm. i like that Maybe I'll switch that word. Yeah. And and what's coming to mind for me is that um, it's easy for me to look around and see problems and, and create shame that's supposed to motivate me to solve those problems, which it doesn't do at all. Again, it puts me in a kind of collapse state. And so it does, I'm really trying, especially in the morning, to feel pleasure, to feel pleasantness, to to kind of give myself like, you're you're okay your 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 imperfect life is okay something like that is how because I, I actually think that that is more motivating than the the oh you need to fix this energy that i think and have lived my life thinking would motivate me but has never really worked really fully so good thank you for thank sharing you. all of that yeah it's yeah, really thank you yeah. for asking yeah, I appreciate how you share so much of yourself, like you show up vulnerably and authentic to this conversation around shame, which is hard to do. So thank you for joining mm -hmm, us here mm -hmm. in that spirit. Yeah, I felt very, I feel a bit emotional now. I felt very welcomed, your energy, like we co-created this. I don't always feel like I can say to someone like, oh, there's a teariness coming up, but with you in this context, I do. And it's something I do try to do in an interview as well, because it's like walk my talk a little let's talk about it. But like you, you have given me also a, like implicit permission. So I appreciate mm. that. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate it. Where's the best way for people to tune into what you are doing? Um, yeah, I have a website, discomfortable.net, which has info about my book, Discomfortable and coaching that I do. And I'm, I'm on Twitter. If you search Discomfortable, you should be able to find me, even though there's like some vowels missing from my actual handle, but it's pretty clear. Um, yeah, those are probably the best ways to keep in touch. Um, and I do a podcast as well, but I, it's been sort of dormant this year, but I am bringing it back, uh, this spring, summer, so they can look out for that on whatever podcasting app. And it's also called Discomfortable. Awesome. We'll put links to all that in the show notes. AJ, thanks again for your time. I've loved this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
If you're still listening, thanks so much for sticking around. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass along to a friend. You can help others find this podcast more easily by taking a moment to rate and review. And if you're curious what it's like to work with me or just want to learn more about the work I do in optimizing your own wellness, head to my website, emilygeiser.com. You can connect with me directly on Instagram at emilygeiser. Links for those are in the show notes. I'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Until then, think good thoughts and go for them. 